Welcome to Gaston County Matters with Vicki Spargo. Join us as we explore the community in which we live. Together, we'll visit some of the incredible people who live here, the hidden points of interest that keep people coming back, and the incredible history that has made us one of the most interesting counties in North Carolina. Welcome to another episode of Gaston County Matters, and you matter. Thank you so much for being a part of uh, this family, and really our next few episodes, uh, I hope you I hope you don't have any socks on, because if you did, they're going to get blown off your, your feet right now, because it really is, uh, it's, it's very eye-opening. Um, there is an awful lot of conversation today that's going on uh, about mental health. I think all of us know people that are struggling uh, with anxiety, depression, discouragement, fear, worry. Maybe, let's be honest, that may be true with you. I know it has been true with me as well. And uh, there, there's a lot of different opinions about what we should do and how we can help people. But uh, my psychic steward, who's not feeling well today, he, we, we're going to miss him, but he'll be back, uh, went to uh, our own wonderful Caramont Hospital. Actually, we went up to the seventh floor at Gaston Hospital, and we spoke to a wonderful lady who I just believe is is going to surprise you by some of uh, the thoughts that she has and by the faith that you're going to hear from her. And what I would what I encourage you to do before before we go into this episode is uh, if if you might be struggling emotionally you may be struggling relationally and you would say what would be a, ne- a good next step I would encourage you to get around some positive people and and let me tell you where I think the most positive people in the world are found it's found in a church and so find a good Bible believing church where you can get in there and uh, and I, I guarantee you it's, it's going to make a huge difference in your life so let's go into this interview with char and you're going to hear kind of her story, and I think you'll be very, very moved by what you hear from a leader in our community. Again, thank you for listening today. Check this out. We're excited to have with us today as our special guest with Gaston County Matters, Char, let me try it, Char Biamonte Stockel. Am I yes, close? Yes. Yay! <laughs> Char's got uh, quite a last name, and she's quite quite a lady. And so we are actually, um, Char, recording this right now up on the seventh floor mm-hmm. at Caramont Hospital. It's a, it's a wonderful place, and, and you are the Director of Psychiatric Services yes. at, at uh, Caramont. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit, Char, uh, so we can learn a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about where you grew up and okay. uh, your, your childhood, those kind of things. All right. Well, I grew up in Kellytown, West Virginia, and it's a little outside of Fairmont, home of Mary Lou Retton. Mm. And so I went to, uh, I'm a coal miner's daughter. I've heard that song. Yeah, I know, but you'll ask, you'll pay me not to sing. So, um, yeah, so I grew up in the coal fields okay. and um, came to know the Lord at an early age of twelve. A neighborhood, a neighborhood woman asked me to go to church, and I went to church and accepted Jesus in my heart. Wow! And um, 
that was that filled the emptiness inside of me. So my parents were not saved, and I continued my journey with the okay. Lord. I was a Sunday school superintendent at 15 in the Methodist Church, and um, yeah, I just. That's, really that was a, that was pretty young to be a Sunday school superintendent. Oh, yeah. So you were over all the adult classes and everything. And, and I led the services and opened the services and made the bulletins and oh yeah. So I, I was always um, headed headed toward the Lord. You know whatever He had me doing. Right. And one Friday night, my mom, I had all my concordances open on the floor, and she said, "Honey, if you could find something that you would love to do, like you like to read the Word of God." you would be really successful. And I said, Mom, that's never going to be. You wow. know, so I, I just really, even at a young age, loved the Word of God. That's awesome. So I, I went into nursing because in West Virginia, as a man, you go into the coal mines. And as a woman, you either pick teaching or nursing. Okay. So my mom was after me, so I went into nursing. So I went, I had a four-year nursing degree, and I decided, what do I want to do? Well, someone told me about, you know, graduate school in Springfield, Missouri, and um, away I went by myself and um, received my uh, graduate degree in intercultural relations. I wanted to go overseas as a medical missionary, but in between that time and actually going overseas, I uh, was offered a position at Evangel University as the assistant dean of students. Okay. And met my husband and married him. And we stayed in Springfield for 28 years. Wow. And I was uh, assistant director of our large uh, psychiatric. Now, Springfield, is that is that Bart Simpson's hometown too? No, there's Springfield in every area. <laughs> every I think there's a Springfield in every state. Yeah, every actually, state. Actually, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. But, um, I'm a closet uh, Simpsons fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Springfield, Missouri. So, yeah, I figured we'd be leaving there after I, you know, my husband graduated from school, but we didn't. We stayed. Stayed there. Stayed and raised two daughters until about six years ago. I was, um, I got a phone call, and they said, hey, do you want to come to Gastonia, North Carolina? I wasn't even looking for a job, but I wanted to come home. That was a secret desire. Okay. To come home. Come back. Yeah. And because, um, you know, the tornadoes out there, <laughs> I lived through the Joplin tornado. I mean, it was bad. Yeah, And right. so um, I typed in Gastonia, North Carolina. I had never heard of the town before. Huh. And Fairmont, West Virginia. And it showed six hours versus 19. And uh-huh. I told my husband, I said, we're going home. <laughs> no, not really. I was sitting there and I'm like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to do a resume. And the Lord said, you've been telling me you want to go home. So I came down and interviewed, awesome. and um, I really wanted to work at Caremont with what I saw here. Right. And I, I, I'm teaching classes right now for the hospital on values and how our behavior lines up with our values. And I tell them that I have not regretted one day wow. of moving here. So it's been a wonderful move. Well, I can me. tell you on behalf of our listeners, myself as well, and, and I'm here. we're here with Stuart Payne as well as, we're, we're thankful to have a woman like you in a position that you're in. And, and I guess, you know, when you start thinking about nursing, oftentimes people don't connect nursing with psychiatry, mm-hmm. but you are the director of psychiatric services. So how did that whole, how did that, how did you start taking that pathway? Okay. 
I did not go into psychiatry to fix myself or okay. my family because everyone <laughs> thinks, did you really choose this? I went, while I was at Evangel, um, I wanted to keep my nursing skills up. Okay. So I went and I, I did some um, uh, PRN nursing for, for a company. And my first job was at a community hospital on a pediatric unit, psych, child psych unit. And my, we had one car. So my husband dropped me off. And the next morning when he picked me up, I was sitting on the bus bench and I was crying. And he's like, what's wrong? I said, we live in a bubble because the Christian world doesn't understand the hurt out there. I mean, you can just go on your way and have your Christian family and friends and you don't understand that there's hurting people out there. So that night that I was on, there were eight eight out of the 10 kids, I read their charts and they had been severely abused. I mean, hung upside down, in closets, burned with cigarettes, I mean, just. Crazy stuff. Stuff that you wouldn't even think about doing. Yeah. And uh, it, it just really opened up my eyes. And I just, that summer, I just kept working and getting pulled to psychiatric, you yeah. know, units. And that's how it happened. When we went to leave Evangel, um, I was offered a leadership position on a geriatric psych unit. Okay. So um, I took that and... Well, this is this is definitely a a place where you see some of the people in our community is hurting the most. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, when a person comes and they come in, I'm assuming through the the emergency department, right. and they come up here, uh, they're they're at they're maybe at one of their lowest points of their life. That's right. So, what's your joy from doing this? I mean, you would be doing it if you didn't get joy out of it. What's your biggest joy working in this type of work? What's my biggest joy? Uh, It's seeing, um, it's helping people put their lives back together. Right. And I feel like I'm where I need to be and where God's called me to be in that, um, you know, the word says, guard your heart, guard your head. Yep. And I see a lot of my friends, they're like, why are you, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, it's hand in glove. You know, it's it's hurt. It's helping hurting people. I see mental illness as modern day leprosy. Okay. People wow. want to see it outside the city. They don't want right. to deal with it. They don't even want it near them. Or you know, even in the Bible, it talks about how they chained the person with mental illness up in the cemetery. Yep. They want them out of sight, out of mind. They don't want to deal with something that they're uncomfortable with. And I'm okay with dealing with things like that. Because I think that's our duty as Christians and as society. We need to help people. When people have mental illness, it's like a no casserole disease. You know, they're not going to bring casseroles to your house because you're struggling, right? A lot of families sit in your congregation and they're suffering in silence. Truth. Because they don't want people to know that their sister's struggling because they think it reflects badly on them. Sure. That it's some sin in their life or some faulty something happened or a curse or, you know, and it's just might be just a chemical imbalance. Sure. Yeah. So I just feel like we can help. Man, that's awesome. I tell you, you said something that just struck me. I've never thought about that, that it's a modern day leprosy. And you think about what they used to do with lepers. Uh Uh-huh. 
they would take them and put them in a place mm-hmm. and basically just forget about them and yeah. try to get them away. And do you think sometimes we want to do that with mental illness? We just kind of want to, hey, let's go find some place where we can put all these folks so we don't have to deal with them. I mean, do you ever feel like that might be the mindset of some? Well, I think it has been in the past with the asylums, they call them now, you know. Sure. Um, but I, I think a better model would be like a little community that's gated, you know, that they can have their life. and Sure but have the consistency and the structure. I say structure is our friend. And you know, people that have mental illness, one of their big issues is non-compliance. And everyone's like, oh, why can't they take their medicine? Well, let me ask you, have you ever taken uh, an antibiotic and just stop <laughs> taking it once, you're, once you feel better? I just did. Okay, just, so, so uh, you yeah, can see the right. non-compliance. Correct. So when people have mental illnesses, They'll take their medicine and they'll feel better and they'll think, oh, don't need this anymore. What they don't understand is they might need it for the rest of their lives. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, you know, you've, uh, you're, I, can, I can feel your joy because you wouldn't be doing this unless you enjoyed it. That's right. Uh, but there's challenges. So what do you think with your particular role as Director of Psychiatric Services at Caremont, what are some of the challenges that, that you face or some of the challenges that, that, that you see working in this field. Okay. Um, challenges are with insurance companies and we, our patients up here only stay four days. Do you know how hard it is to change 50 years of stinking thinking <laughs> in four days? Wow. We're just a mash tent. All we're doing is yeah. we're taking them in and they've come in because they're harmful to themselves or others and we're just patching them up and sending them back out. Our big um, how often do you challenge. see? Them, how often do you see the person packing up? You send them out, and then they're back here a few days later. Does well, that happen we, a lot? Uh, no, it does not, because we actually hold hands with a lot of great community partners. Okay, and um, that's where the true care comes in okay. with chronic uh, people with chronic mental illnesses. They okay. need good, strong community partners to partner with them. Right. Yeah, we're. We're not making the difference. We're just keeping them safe sure. for three or four days, maybe adjusting their meds. But we have to have somebody that we have to, that we can hand off. To. Sure, you take the baton and pass it to right, someone else. Right, and make sure. And we have actually people that come in and meet with the patients before we send them out, yeah. so that they can connect and develop a relationship. Well, at them. the time of this, uh, when we're taping this. You know, we we've just kind of walked through some things in our in our culture with Anthony Bourdain uh, from right. CNN. Kate Spade took her life. I mean, these right. were very wealthy people, successful, as mm-hmm. you know, as, as far as what some people would define success. Right. How much do you see in our community as as people choosing to end their own life? Suicide is that a big challenge here in Gaston oh, County? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a challenge everywhere. Okay. Because when you look at um, the statistics, you know, uh, stress is 10 times higher than it was 10 years ago. Okay. And mm. so you're just... wonder why that is. I mean, do you have I, any thoughts on that? I just think people are busier and I, I think they're overloaded. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, everything's downsizing, just the stress. I say everything's downsizing. Except pant sizes, they're all going. <laughs> so, Correct. Um, no, and that's because everything's supersized when you go to Mickey D's or that's something. That's right, right. That's right. But um, 
you know, people's pain is real. And I think sometimes, I, you know, with people that have money like Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, you would think, why couldn't they go and get help? Correct. Yeah, they have the means to okay. get help. But, um, well, not, not not putting them to the side. Yeah. Why would you, what, what's your thoughts on that? Somebody, you know, I mean, do you think they just maybe get to a place of desperation? Yeah. Or, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be different for each person, yeah. but there's, there are people that have the resources to go right. and get the mental help that they need, but they obviously choose, choose not, not to. to. Right. What, 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 what do you think? Well, um, I just think that they just, um, the pain involved, they just want to get rid of the pain. And okay. they don't think past the pain. Okay. And they just, they're just thinking. Because, you know, suicide's a really selfish act. I mean, it, it, it relieves the pain of the person, they think. Correct. Um, but it really just overflows to so many It people. accentuates the pain of those around, around them. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing um, anxiety and depression in our, mm-hmm. in our culture right. significantly higher. Right. Particularly among 18 to 25-year-olds. I say right. it's, that's where it's rising the most. Um, what would... How can they cope? You know, we're, we got somebody listening to this right now that I know is struggling with a, a depression. They got a smile on their face inside they're dying. Mm-hmm. They've got anxiety. Their breathing uh, is, is mm-hmm. struggles. I mean, how, what are some ways? What would you say to someone, or at least just places maybe they can get some help? Right. Um, there's all kinds of resources, and I'm I'm going to give you a quick resource guide. Okay. Um, and places that don't cost a lot of money or no money. Good. That they can go to, but you know, even if they reach out to someone that they trust and start talking. Okay. Because you know it 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 does all start in your head. Yep. It does, and how you think about things and how you frame things, and it helps having someone. To listen and help you see things in a different right. light, right? And also to have someone that you can be accountable to. Yep, yep. So you know, I would encourage them to find somebody that's um, in the church or um, a counselor, right? And go and start talking. Right, right. I, I you know, I, I am a pastor, so I do have an opportunity to speak uh, daily to people mm-hmm. who are struggling with anxiety and depression, and. Um, one of the things I've noticed even with myself when I've gone through anxiety and depression are, are the things I say to myself. Self-talk's big. Yeah. And, you know, and, and from a Christian perspective, I say get under the Word of God. Because mm-hmm. replace those stinking, thinking thoughts <laughs> That's right. with good things and, and promises of peace and hope and joy. And, uh, you know, I think if people would really realize how powerful the Word sure. of God is. Sure. I mean, you know, we, we see this thousands of years ago. God says, write it on the door frames of your house. That's right. I mean, he, he's, basically, everywhere you go, write these promises right. down. I, and I tell folks, even in the hospital, I've, I've had a few people do it. Most of them won't do it. But I said, listen, get sticky notes and put Bible promises all over your walls. Mm-hmm. And so when you start feeling down, um, you can begin just to, to claim some start of those promises. Start reading them. Yes, yeah. start reading them. If you have negative thoughts, I was running through the hospital one day, and I'm trying to practice, you know, understanding and not letting just everything go through my mind. Sure. Right? And 
I had a negative thought, and I, in my mind, I threw up my hand, and I said, mm we're not going there today. <laughs> so, you know, you have to really um, grab a hold of those thoughts. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you. I think that we can choose our thoughts like we choose our friends. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, my belief is, Charles, that uh, God made us where we can only think on one thing at a time. And so mm-hmm. if I'm thinking on what is right and pure and lovely, I won't be able to think some of those other right. types of mm-hmm. thoughts. And so for you as a, you know, you're a mother, yes. a wife, you've got a very stressful job up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you handled some of the struggles you've had in your life? I'm sure you've had some some yes. st- struggles with anxiety and de- depression, just like the rest of us, correct? Right. Right. I grew up in a chronically depressed household. My father was an alcoholic. Um, my great, my grandmother was, my grandfather. I mean, I grew up seeing a lot. My aunt was a national, uh, spoke nationally for AA. Okay. So I saw chronically depressed. And it's not fun when you're reflecting and looking at your life and you realize, oh my gosh, I grew up in a chronically depressed household. Right. How does that affect me? I've always been positive and I think it's because at a young age I accepted Christ. And right. the word of God was in my heart. Yep. Um, so, but you still have to go through and dig through all that stuff in your life. And um, when I had my first child, I had postpartum depression. Sure. I'm, I've always been positive, but at that moment, I was depressed. That was a joyous time in my life. But it wasn't an extreme postpartum, but it was, I wasn't myself. You know, I didn't want to go out, didn't want to interact with people. And I was telling my mom, and she's like, oh, yeah, I had that. I'm like, thanks, Mom. Thanks for telling <laughs> thanks me. Thanks for talking to me about it, Mom. Ahead of time. But, um, so I went well, that's very common. Help. That's very common I, I with women. I went and got help. Good. And um, they put me on um, uh, serotonin uptake, and I was on it for three months. See, that's the fallacy. People think, oh, if they put you on meds, you have to be on it the rest of your life. It helped me through that time because... When women have babies, the omega-3s go down, and it's kind of sucked to the baby, and that messes with your serotonins. So what, what the antidepressant or serotonin uptake helped, it built my serotonins back up. So when I had the birth of my second one, I didn't go through that. So I learned, yep. right? So it's a season in your life, but, um, and mine was, it was chemical, a lot of people have things that they try to fix on their own. They're good right, people, right. and they just, you know, try to fix it on their own, so they'll use drugs or drinking. I tell everyone, you know, when you were in third grade, what did you want to be? I wanted to be a basketball player. Okay. So you weren't raising your hand saying, I want to be a drug addict. I want to have mental Correct. illness. I want to. No. Nobody anticipates that's what they're going to have have happen in their life. Right. But um, I can see people who are highly anxious and then they think, oh, if I drink a beer, that'll help calm me down. Right. And then it's just a vicious cycle. Yep. Yep. Pretty so, soon we drink the beer and the beer takes us. Right. You know, somebody's listening to this char, this, this riding down the road, working out, walking around the block, struggling right. with depression, struggling with anxiety, and they go see their, their primary physician and their right. primary physician says, look, you're going through a tough season. I'm going to put you on a, a mild antidepressant. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're listening to this, 
pay attention to what your physician's saying. Would you yes. agree with that? Oh, yes, term? yes. Go ahead and try it. I mean, what are you going to lose? Right. Other than maybe feeling blue, right. right? And if it is a chemical situation, you know, people, diabetics take their insulin. If right. you have uh, lower levels of your serotonin, then you'll need this little boost. Right. And it might, you might not have to be on it for the rest of your life. Yep. It might just be for a short time. Yeah, well, you know, we, we've also, another crisis that we have in our community, obviously, we've probably much like West Virginia. I grew up here in Gaston County, Charing. Mm -hmm. I think we've always had an addiction issue. Probably mm -hmm. started out with moonshine. Oh, yeah. And then liquor and beer and, and then, right. you know, and then it started moving into other, other mm -hmm. areas. Now, you know, we hear more about opiates, heroin, uh, coke, crack, that kind of stuff. How do you think those, all of those addictions relate to mental illness? Is there a connection? Is there, uh, you know, is there a connection between addiction and mental illness? I, I probably think of it opposite than what okay. you've been told. I think that um, uh, if people are struggling with their mental illnesses, okay. then they reach out and they try to fix themselves with these substances. Um, and then, like I said, it takes over, you said it takes over them, but, um, you know, I, not everybody that has a mental illness has an addiction. Okay. Right. They yeah, they don't. Yeah. But it can sometimes be a precursor to cause us to want to, yeah. uh, maybe do something about the pain oh, that course. we're going through I mean, in our you, life. Blame your household that you grew up in. I could say, "Oh, I grew up in a chronically depressed household. I, I deserve to drink. I deserve to do this." <laughs> no, it's a choice, and I made that choice. I chose never to drink alcohol because I saw the devastation right. in my own family. Um, but a lot of people don't make good choices. Right, right, and 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 it could be that someone does that with food. We could do that with how, uh, how about cell phones? Cell phone. Yes, yeah, right. You talk about addictions. That's one of our. That's, that may be our biggest addiction. I think it's going to be very harmful to our society. Yeah, I just and read relationships. A, I read just read an interesting book on, on that, and um, you know, in, in that literally, uh, we're seeing it's not just the millennials. We're talking about sixty-year-olds oh, yeah. because those cell phones are. They're they're re, they're really reprogramming our brain. I mean, That's right. I would like to see some PET scans of some brains. Yep. 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 So, I want to know: Are you a Facebook church? We are. Do you seek his face and open his book? <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I saw Boom. that on a marquee. Boom. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a character? Nah, I like that chart. You know, I'm going to use that. Now, I will tell you that uh, you know some of those tools are good. Here's what I would encourage everybody listening to this. As soon as you finish listening to this podcast, put that phone away, okay? <laughs> and maybe put it in a drawer. That's what I do, Char. I go, when I go home in the evening, mm -hmm. I take my phone and I put it in a drawer. Mm -hmm. Because studies tell us if we can see it, we're tuned to it. Yeah. It's almost like it's got our attention. Mm -hmm. And But if it's out of sight... Mm -hmm. Is often out of mind, right? And but you you know you you see uh, you you use a great analogy. I want to go back to it, Char. You used the the analogy of our seventh floor at Caramont being a mash unit. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. You know, when I think, of, I mean, I used to watch MASH. Mm-hmm. You watched MASH on TV and a great, oh, yeah. great little show. And the mortality rate was pretty high. Yeah. I mean, it was different than if you checked into your local hospital. And so, yeah. you know, when you're when you're here and you see all the things that are going on mm-hmm. with with mental illness in in our country, we won't just say Gaston County because it's everywhere. Yeah. What are some of the things that we can do? You think maybe long term or or as a society, as a culture, that we need to do to to help people that are kind of stuck. Yeah, I I think because people go to their clergy first before going to doctors. I mean, that's statistically. I think um, as ministers, we need to be able to be open and speak from our pulpits about anxiety, about depression, about, and give education and not have it so stigmatized. Right. I think that would be helpful. Um, In our community, I would like to see a a one-stop shop. And it's kind of like a cheers where everyone knows your name. Right. Uh, But um, I call it the front porch approach. So before you roll into an ED or someplace like that, you would go to this community health center. Okay. And you could get shots and get counseling. And it would just, that's my hope and goal for Gaston County. Mm. So. I I had a chance uh, recently to go to um, Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And was there for some other things but anyway I went to a uh, a one-stop shop mm-hmm. and it was it was for psychiatric it was for health care it was for job training yeah it was kind of you know it was in a huge building and mm-hmm. you just and when you checked in you you told them what you were there for right and then they helped you to get connected to the place where you right. needed to be so what what stops us from doing this? I mean, if we if we think that's what we should be doing, I mean, I'm just asking as a citizen, um, you know, what what's ca- what's causing us to stop not no, to do that? I, I um, again, I think it's uh, we've always wanted to put mental illness outside the city, modern right. day leprosy, and I think this is a good the coalition on opioids is good because it's bringing back in the mental illness side of things. So I think it's primed for, it's a good time to be looking at this. And I've been talking to people and um, I haven't talked to the police department, but I've talked to Alexander Walker outreach management and different people about having something like this. And right. they're, they're open. Well, I mean, it's obvious you go, and I would encourage anybody, you just go down to any of our, you go down to Salvation Army, you go down to Phoenix, mm-hmm. Right. You're going to see people down there who are obviously mentally ill. Oh, yeah. And they're walking the streets of Gastonia. Right. And, uh, you know, what do you, when you see, you see the same thing. You see yeah. people that are going through that. What, what, what can we do to help our, you know, we are a brother's keeper. Right. What can we do to help our brother and sister? Well, I mean, um, I, I really don't give money out on the street, but I direct them to the Salvation Army and to other places okay. that they can go get help. Um, I think just supporting these organizations that are, you know, they're solid yep. in, in, you know, how they handle money and stuff. I think if we can support them more. Well, let's, let's be honest. And you're, you, I'm, I'm going to say this. You don't have to say it. Okay. But we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And if we say this is a problem and this is, you know, we're seeing uh, a lot of our kids, 
-hmm. our grandkids who are struggling with anxiety mm -hmm. and depression, whatever's causing that, there may be a variety of causes. Mm -hmm. uh, to sit back and do nothing is not an option. It's not. And to do what we're doing and it's maybe it's not working is not an option. So we, we obviously, and it's gonna cost some money, correct? Oh yeah, I mean, I would like to see some of the opioid money being looked at for mental health, you know? Yeah. Um, and with the opioid, it's great that we got the pills off the street, but what we're seeing downstream in yeah. our ERs are overdoses on heroin. Right. Because that's the natural effect. If they can't get their high from the pills, they're going to go get heroin on the street, yeah. and they're going to overdose and die. Yeah. Many, so, many of the people that I meet with, and I meet with people uh, every week yeah. that struggle with uh, opiates and heroin, uh -huh. I mean... I, I, as a as a person looking from the outside in, I can tell they got they've got some something some things going on mentally. Yeah, they've got some some of them probably have psychological conditions that oh, yeah. they are trying to treat themselves right. with and, and medicate themselves. And we right. see we we'll, see a lot of kids doing that as well. And and so you know, and it, it's going to be up to the sit. I'm going to say this to all the citizens that are listening to this. It's going to be up to us to tell our elected officials that we we've got to start we've got to put more money into mental health awareness mm -hmm. mental health care we we're going to have to we're going to have to build more resources because uh, i'm sitting up here on the seventh floor of uh to serve 200,000 plus residents mm -hmm. and and we have people come from other counties actually to oh. come here how many beds do we have up here for folks we have, um, we have 24 over on the adult unit, and we have eight child adolescent beds, and we get phone calls from the beach for the child adolescent yeah. children because there's really nothing between us and the beach mm. for services. And we got eight, eight beds. Eight beds. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we could have more, but I don't have the doctors to support because my doctor here comes in early in the morning, she sees patients until noon, and then she goes outpatient to see patients on the outpatient side. So I really need another doctor to increase the beds. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know that much about, you know, uh, the, the need. It just seems with the what you just told me and the number of people in our community that I personally know and that we all know, mm -hmm. 20, 24 beds for adults, eight beds mm -hmm. for kids. Seems, you know, that's just a drop in the bucket. And I, I guess our community is yeah. probably no different. If you, relatively speaking, probably the same in in in, in Mecklenburg County and Wake County and other counties, correct? Right. Um, what we have the shortage of, we do pretty good with the beds and the turnover. Okay. And twenty four meets the needs of this community because what you get into if you have more you're going to be taken from other communities okay, taken, okay. so 24 is good for okay, gaston okay. i'd like to go up to about 12 on the child adolescent unit um but we do a really good job keeping patients moving them through the ed okay. um like in april we only had four patients that stayed longer than 24 hours in the ed yeah. if you look at national statistics they have patients that stay in their ed for 15 days so we work really hard yeah. in taking care of our patients. But our need and our, um, is doctors, psychiatrists. At one point, uh, demographically, we needed seven and we had three. But I think we're up to 
four. So we need three. Need more. three. Need three more. Wow. Yeah. And well, it's hard to recruit for psychiatrists. It takes 18 months to 24 months. See, most people, I would never dream that. I would have thought oh, that, no. that you We're guys short. would, would mm-hmm. put a, a, say, we got an opening and oh, you no. have 100 resumes. Oh, no. Wow. Well, you know, um, we're, we're honored, Char, to have a woman like you in, in, in this. And I think some people may be a little surprised that, that, that you have such a strong faith and you're working in psychiatry because they may not always think that the two, I think they do combine. When God oh, made yeah. us, he made us mind, body, and spirit. That's right. And so we're triune just like God's yeah. triune. But uh, So tell us a little bit about how your faith in your position, how, how does your faith guide you? Well, my faith isn't compartmentalized. I have a faith that's, my faith is my hub of my life. There you go. And, you know, I'm not just a, a, a nurse that happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian that just happens to be a nurse, okay? So it, it permeates who I am as a leader, and it just permeates everything about me. Um, so it's not hard to love others. It's not hard to accept people that are different. I love my staff. Um, you know, my job here is to take care of my staff. Right. And then they take care of the patients. And, you know, last year I fixed them 14 pans of homemade lasagna and wow. brought them in. And so it's um, hopefully um, they will see my words, but they'll also see my walk. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and I, I embrace this, and I'm not afraid. Uh, God made our minds um so intricately and I think Mm -hmm. we'll be finding out more and more about our minds and how it works and it's always fascinated me it's always fascinated me to look at a schizophrenic a person with schizophrenic I don't want to say schizophrenic because you know person isn't a gallbladder or heart right person who has schizophrenia you know when your mind is broken it's just um it's just a real study for me to yeah. figure out what's going on. Alan Alden, that did MASH, wasn't right. he Hawkeye? Anyways, yeah. his mother had schizophrenia. And she said, Alan, um, when you have schizophrenia, it's like being in a nightmare. Wow. And not ever being able to wake up. Uh-huh. And so, and I've had people that I worked with a nurse that was just brilliant. And one day we were going to a seminar, and she said, you know I had ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. I said, what? And she said, yeah, back in the 40s. She said, Char, I was going to nursing school, and she said, I woke up, and my mind was broken. Wow. And she said, I, I received ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. And that's another discussion. Yeah, that's not. But, um, <laughs> uh, uh, so she had, elect- I would have never known it. So, I mean, uh, you know, people paint people with mental illness that they're of no use to society anymore. Right. And that's not the case. Like I said, it's just a little bump in the road. It's a yeah. season in life. And people can go on and have productive lives. Exactly. Well, we live in a broken world. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, we were all, every, every human being, listen to this, every, every human being born yeah. uh, was born into a dysfunctional family. And oh, yeah. so we, we all have our, our things and, and there are times when, as you know, our mind, our mind gets, gets wounded, oh, yeah. our spirit gets wounded, all right. but it, it doesn't have to be a, a it can be a temporary, it doesn't have right. to be a permanent situation. Yeah. Uh, Charles, on behalf of our uh, listeners with Gaston County Matters, thank you for your time that you spent oh. with us today. Well, I'm just so happy to be here, to be a part of Gaston County. Yeah, well, we're, we're honored to have you and... <laughs> 
Uh, on behalf of my sidekick, Stuart Payne and, and Char Biamonte Stockle. Yep. Yay! <laughs> well, well, thank you for, for your time with us today. And we uh, look forward to a great conversation uh, next week as well. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Now, what an incredible conversation. To think that we have got one of our leaders at our hospital uh, here in Gaston County who has such faith and such passion for the people of Gaston County. Y'all, we're blessed. We're blessed to live in this, this county. And I, I would just, I would encourage you that if you're struggling emotionally, if you're struggling relationally, don't keep that to yourself. Find some other people. Again, perhaps I really believe the best place you can find some very positive people who care about you, love you, want to walk with you, want to see the best for you would be in a church. We, we'd love for you to visit Bethlehem Church, but to be honest with you, there's a lot of great churches in our community that, that you can find where you're going to find some people that are going to help you, love you, and walk with you. I want to thank Char for her awesome conversation that we had with her. I want to thank you particularly for being a part of the Gaston Matters family and uh, would like to encourage you to make sure that you share this with a friend. And also want to note that we are looking for a sponsor for this, this podcast. And if you would like to be a sponsor for this podcast, you can just email us at Gaston County Matters at gmail.com. That is Gaston County Matters at gmail.com. And we can walk you through that. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of great things happen. We believe the best is yet to come. And on behalf of my sidekick, Stuart, who's not feeling too good today, and this is Dickie Spargo, we're very grateful that you chose to tune in today. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We've enjoyed sharing today's discussion with you. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and share us with your friends. Then join us next time as we bring you Gaston County Matters.